0: What's going on? You are listening to Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. Now, what does don't at me mean? Okay, so here's the deal. You may or may not know, but I made a film and then a television show called Dear White People. Critics liked it, audiences seemed to dig it, but uh, a few people on Twitter and in every single comment section on the internet really, really, really had a problem with the title. (laughs) And that's actually where don't at me comes from. You see, don't at me is what you say on Twitter when you want to voice your own personal truth, perhaps a controversial opinion, and you don't want a bunch of random people jumping down your throat in your mentions, adding you. So that's where we get the name from. This is a the safe space, if you will, for me and creatives and just people that I'm interested in to have a free-flowing conversation, an unfiltered conversation where we get to let our guard down and tell our personal truth. You got it? All right, here we go. Don't at me. <music> Now, being black in general is, yeah, it's kind of a mindfuck, <laughs> but doubly so when you're an actor, because not only are you dealing with the slings and arrows of a society such as ours, but frankly, you got to draw from it and pull from it on, the, on a dime and sort of bring that to bear in all of your performances. Uh, and so it is in this milieu of very complicated black feelings <laughs> that I had. A really amazing conversation with uh, two very gifted actors, Marquis Richardson, who you may know as Reggie on my show, Dear White People, and Kayla Stewart, who you might know from Soul Man, Hot Tub Time Machine, her long-running role on My Boys, or just Instagram if you're into amazing people. So I really, really wanted to talk to these guys, um, not just about their lives as, as Black creatives, but also how they transform into their characters. Now, Marquis, I've gotten to see him do this up close. Uh, many times. He's an amazingly gifted person who really just embodies the soul of his characters, um, particularly Reggie, who I've obviously gotten the chance to work with him on. And now, Kaylee, I just really got to discover her her history and her motivations during the course of this interview. But boy, did I walk away completely inspired and uh, with so much admiration for her and uh, how she approaches her work. So, listen, without further ado, let's get into it. Don't at me. you're listening to Don't At Me with Justin Simeon, we're going to have a really good conversation. <laughs> it may not stay anywhere near the rails, I can already tell, uh-uh. but I'm going to introduce you to some really beautiful people who also happen to be actors that, you know, um, you can see on the television screens and the movie screens. I'm going to start with Marquis Richardson. How are you? Hello, Okay, what is that voice? Is that your...
1: uh, It's my morning radio voice.
0: That's like a... It's like a Maya Angelou meets um, somebody. I'm not even sure. Meets uh, Somebody male. uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Meets meets me. a pack of cigarettes or something. I'm not sure. weed. I understand. And Marquis, obviously, like, we know each other from Dear White People, but you are in a bunch of stuff. I almost kind of... Look, this is not even a credit show. We're not here to plug... (laughs) But if you ever want to, if you want to holla and talk about a certain thing, that yeah. we can absolutely talk about it. Okay. I'm also here with the fabulous Kalei. Uh, <laughs> hey! <laughs> Get the star. Who, who, I, who we had to have a cover, because I was like, I want to call you Kalei. Right. But it's Kalei. It's Kalei. Okay, let me do an Oprah. I feel very Oprah today. Oh, okay? I can feel, I be the gale? Yes. Okay. I feel, well, I feel her. The tree. You oh, can the tree. be You can be the tree that that yeah. sits behind her often. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like, you know, what are our intentions? Guys, like, I'm going to ask you about your lives, like how you got into this this business called show. I want to talk to you about what we all saw last night, wow. uh, the Whitney documentary, which I think is very powerful and continues to move me. Um, but I, I, what did you come here with? Like, what's going, I walked into the middle of a very delicious conversation. So <laughs> I'm just curious of what's on your guys' mind, you know? Wow.
2: Uh, I came in here with the intention to be, um, just to be open and mm-hmm. to learn more. It's so interesting because we've known each other for years, but not really like known mm-hmm, the nuances of mm-hmm. each other. So I came in here to be like, I want to be known by mm. you, I want to be known by Marquis. Like you know, I haven't worked with you specifically, Justin, yeah. yet. But I have actually worked with him. We yeah. did a pilot together years ago. Uh, years ago, but yeah. um, but still, like you know, there's always there's still like a you know a surface to to certain things. So I came here to like know y'all. Yeah, that's yeah. true.
0: Because sure. I feel like we're in, I feel like we're in the same solar system. Right. But our orbit patterns aren't always. At the, like, you know, we, yeah. you're right, we never had a, a chance to, like, sit down and, like, get to know, but obviously, like, friends from afar. Now, for people who don't know um you know these are actors (laughs) caution uh and what an actor is no um (laughs) uh but let me see i'm just going through uh our list of our latest credits guys um you know so you you know Marquis from i don't know what you've been in um just kidding well i know you as reggie from dear white people (sighs) uh you've done a bunch of Movies, uh, Stepsisters is a yeah. recent one that time. was pretty huge. On I mean, it was a huge movie on Netflix. Yeah, oddly uh, enough written by chuck hayward who is a writer under i mean it's very incestuous it's a black hollywood thing yeah. chuck hayward wrote it who's a writer on dear white people and clay uh you know her from hunter gatherer you know her from guess who you know her from the internet you know her from instagram you know her from like everybody's shows because she's always Everybody. up on somebody's show there's like there are like times when i'm literally like wait really
2: is she in this as well I just, yeah. I just show up yeah it's
0: always a treat though yeah, it's I always a just... welcome <laughs> surprise mind you Why?
2: Thanks.
0: Um, So what, you know what, I just asked you, like, where do you guys want to start? And then I started talking. (laughs) (laughs) Marquis.
1: What were your intentions when you came here today? Yeah, uh, to be honest, it was really to be honest and uh, be authentic and just, like, to dive into uh, each other, you know, a super soul Saturday. Well, listen, some of this, they may not be able to catch on the microphones, but we're going to do it. It's Mm -hmm. fine. Um,
0: Oh. Okay. I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um All right, so let's get into it. Why why did you what the hell did you choose this profession? Like what is wrong with us that we decided to be a part of the entertainment industrial complex?
2: It chose me. Yeah. I will definitely say it chose me. Just like every person. We all have a complicated upbringing to a certain extent, no mm-hmm. matter how great it might be. But I grew up in Pennsylvania. One of two black families in an all-white neighborhood, mm. and um, my parents are from West Philadelphia, born, born and raised. raised. Yes, <laughs> playground, and it wasn't so great. So mm. they moved us to the suburbs because they wanted to make sure that we were like safe, mm. you know. Yeah, the Fresh Prince story. The Fresh right. Prince story, being and and so, but my mother never actually furnished our living room. And it had those mirrors on one wall. Whoa! And yeah, we yeah, that house was like bought in the seventies, where like you know the mirrors were on the wall with like the the ornate yeah. like gold uh-huh. buttons yeah. to hold them yeah. up. And so when I was a young kid and stuff would happen to me when I was four or five and I would throw a temper tantrum, my mother would put me in that room that mm. wasn't furnished.
0: The glass? The glass. Cage. yeah, the,
2: Yeah, exactly. And your so she autobiography would say,
0: has, it's already has amazing titles. It's I don't amazing. know what's in it yet. I, it's
2: actually called, I actually am starting it. It's called My Life wow. Without Panties. a oh. so whole hey. other podcast. Well, that's
0: brilliant. <laughs> oh, thank you. I do want to read yeah. The Glass Cage, though. Yeah. Okay, the I will glass cage get into bird. that. Come
1: on, Maya.
2: But she put me in this room and so she would say, you can throw your temper tantrum in there -hmm. but when mommy comes back in here it's over because you know a black mother she don't say much it's like that look and it would be like it's over yeah and so I would say okay so things would be happening and I would always be put in this room to throw the temper tantrum and eventually I just got tired of Screaming and yelling at myself in the mirror. So Mm. I would start to talk to myself. Wow. And before I knew it, I was doing monologues to myself. And then I was singing to myself. And I'm doing shows. So my mother would then intentionally put me in in this room. room Because she started to see that I was developing this journey. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know what it was, but she just wanted to be able to facilitate it.
0: That is Mm. Beautiful. And that is
2: where it started. And when I tell you, my mother never furnished that room. Wow. Until I left for college.
0: Well, honey, you did. To
2: SUNY purchase to be an actress. Yes, SUNY. Wow. And then she put furniture in it. But that was my studio. Wow. wow. I did little movies in that room. Do you room. know how
0: special that is? It's yes. pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, the thing yeah. is, like, because I-, I feel like sometimes the instinct is to, if there's something that your child is doing that might, you know, harm their chances of being seen as normal or having the things that you understand to be success, um, the the inclination is to stamp it out. Mm -hmm. Especially for us because there's really, I think... But, you know, the generation just above us, the generation that raised us, there was very little room for error Mm -hmm. in American society. I mean, you really had to get out there and hustle to get what you deserve and don't do too much because that could ruin your chances of just getting that little coin purse that you have to have to get through life. So the instinct Mm -hmm. sometimes is is to say, you know, what are you doing in there? Right. You know, and it's so beautiful that your mom allowed you in there, allowed you that space. And
2: still does it to this day because when I'm disappointed if I don't get a job or something goes wrong, she'll say, okay, like if that happens on a Monday, she'll say, you have until Wednesday to be pissed about this, to be upset about this, to to curse about this. Mm -hmm. But by Wednesday, you got to let it go. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, this is what you did to me as a child. And Mm -hmm. she said, well, I don't believe in not expressing your grief and your anger and your disappointment. Mm -hmm. When people tell children, like, that's enough, they're not done, though. Mm. They have to express that. So, I mean, I found it in that room, but my mother was really the cat. That facilitated me becoming an actress and a writer. Mm. And what I was telling Marquis was that my I wrote a poem when I was fifteen about this dude eating a pork chop on a New York City subway. Oh,
0: was wow. chop. I wrote the same. Did oh, you? Is I it, did. Was it
2: called pork chop? Or? It, you
0: know what? I called it. Um, I called it lamb chop. Lamb chop. <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know my meats at you the time. <laughs> Um, I'm just kidding. Go
2: ahead. <laughs> Hysterical. But my mother kept this thing. Uh-huh. And to me, it was trash. But yeah. to her, it was like wow. gold. Wow. And so cut to 20-plus years later, I'm going through a bad acting moment. Mm. And I decided to download Final Draft with my broken computer with mm. that has a frayed cord that possibly could cause an electrical fire. Yeah. And I wrote this script and sold it to Fox. And then my mother was like... I told you since this damn pork chop. Wow. I've been
0: telling you since that the pork That is job. such a beautiful mm-hmm. and unusually Unusual. rare story. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, though. Yeah. Man. I mean, I had ai didn't have a glass room, but I had my room. Mm-hmm. I was an only child, and so I remember a sort of... I would always do radio shows. That was <laughs> ironically. There we are, um, but I would Dang. I was like we would always have sometimes my cousin Dominic, who's a musician now, and then my cousin Lee. We would turn on the like the recorder and just do these like skits and do these like little radio plays and then like when it was just me, I would like sing off-key to various <laughs> songs and <laughs> and sort of introduce them as new singles. It's crazy. And if my mom had, you know, I think my mom later had concerns about you know whether or not an industry, or sorry, the entertainment industry was the place for her son to make money or be successful. But in the early days, there was never there was never any kind of like attempt to stop it or censor it. Even mm-hmm. though I, I know it got on people's nerves because, <laughs> child, I started when I found out about uh, the uh, Pippi Longstocking's movie, <laughs> I was obsessed. <laughs> A little girl that could, like, fly yes, and, like, the musicals broke out. I, I was obsessed. And Ooh. I would sit in. I have the tapes, y'all. I would at the top of my pippy Pippi Longstocking. I don't know what Dr. S- Anna Simeon was telling herself at that time period.
2: Oh, Dr. Doctor Anna
0: Simeon? Dr. Anna wow. Simeon. So Okay, yeah. I don't know yeah. what she was, but she was like, let me just let him have his moment, uh-huh. two more minutes to sing <laughs> yeah. this damn song. Yeah. Uh, Marquise.
1: What a gift, though.
0: What a gift. You know? Well, it <laughs> turned out to be one. I don't know. I listened to the tapes myself. I'm, I'm a little like, I don't know if I would have let little Justin <laughs> no, continue. like a <laughs> gift,
1: though. For her to give you that space to like just right. be free and to just be in your in yourself yes. whatever like fully self-expressed whatever that whatever that is whatever that Because Because uh, yeah. sometimes
0: it comes from pain yeah. and sometimes it comes from repression yeah. but more often it comes from freedom it comes from yeah. space yeah. and these people who are so in you know these um, we're going to go into this cuz we saw Whitney but artists that bring so many gifts to the world out of their pain it's really cuz they're looking for space right. and it's it's you know i think we black folks have less time yeah you know, on the whole, because we're we're already taught to build our little proxy cells from the moment we can speak. Mm. Marquis, tell me about your beginning in this and how it found you or how you found it.
1: Well, I was born by a river. Yes, and, river. Uh, <laughs> born by an ocean in uh, San Diego. So my parents got me involved in acting when I was four. Mm. So they would drive up from San Diego to Los Angeles for auditions. And wow. at, yeah, at and that they time, got you
0: involved. Yeah.
1: Why? Yeah, there was, I have no idea. Because he was
2: a cute kid. I Aww. had
1: a big ass head, had headshots. There was a thing in the, in the day called, there was a book called Faces,
0: yeah. where
1: you, it had all these actors from different sizes, shapes, whatever, and managers and agents would look through this book and just pick out a talent who they mm. wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. So a manager picked out my face, because of the head, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we started going on auditions, and I just used to book um, commercials, just he TV was just commercials, booking, just basically. booking so, commercials. Yeah,
0: so you know, some of us started um, doing, <laughs> those, <laughs> doing <laughs> little stories in the mirror <laughs> yeah. and singing "Pippi socket exactly. Marquis' career began with booking. <laughs> booking. It's
1: all that bad money, <laughs> but several <laughs> several rabbit trails off. <laughs> In anyway. know, we're say, yeah, <laughs> we sometimes in the a child needs
0: space. Mark, you he over here, mm hmm, sometimes the <laughs> child, child needs work.
1: Stuff. What <laughs> this child needed was booking. Money. He got it. Yeah. yeah. But it, look, it, so we did that and we came, we came up and I quit. Mm. So I moved up to Los Angeles when I was like five or whatever and quit wow. acting, but I didn't know my parents had moved me up here uh-huh. to pursue this. And you so, were
0: just like, we're yeah. in a new city for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're new in Eaglewood. I don't get it. I don't
1: like this. I didn't really like it. Wow. It, it was. I was shy. You yeah know and you know introverted and still am debatably mm-hmm. um, you are yeah but That's i fine. quit it's fine it's okay i think That's it's great. all i'm definitely an introvert the the, yeah thing. it's like <laughs> this
0: this version of me is a version Whitney. i'm the first to say but yeah. go ahead go ahead
1: yeah um and so i quit and then for whatever reason wanted to start back up again when i was 12 because so i think i just remember getting like playground cred telling people oh I used to be in TV mm. I'm like no you didn't and then I was like yes I did and then, I had bookings I had bookings I was booked <laughs> <laughs> I was booked and busy I had checks you know it was a thing and so I started back up again when I was 12 started doing like I was a video ho mm. um, okay. music videos sky's the limit with all the little kids mm-hmm. when they uh, that's awkward know. to call them video hoes video hoes the children
0: it's not you know? inaccurate in some spaces but I'm, I'm uncomfortable I mean, <laughs> me too it's not even noon yet <laughs> it's not um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Close. Um, so that happened uh still continued to do commercials and all that kind of stuff in high school and throughout whatever applying for colleges and you know helping my family with money um that was an interesting time um but then started booking tv and film my junior year of college mm-hmm. so i went to usc for business and public policy planning and management really? th- yeah thinking that i was gonna come out you know and be a consultant mm-hmm. for like deloitte and touche or something and because this business was just a hobby. For yeah. Me. Um. So there was a week when I was a junior in college. I booked two shows, drama and a comedy. It was like Seventh Heaven and Bernie Mac, the same week. And um, when I was working on set with Mr. Mac, Bernie, Bernie, mm-hmm. RP, miss him, mm-hmm. miss him. Um, and he rest, y'all. May he
0: rest. One of the yes. ancestors now.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. We we had a conversation, and he was like, "Where did y'all get this kid? Um, he's phenomenal." Hmm. I looked around. And I was like, who are you talking about? And he was like, you. And I said, oh, that was the first time where I actually thought, oh, maybe I could continue to to do this. Wow. You know, if that was a little nugget for me. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll dive further in into this business or whatever. So graduated, had the opportunity of... Uh, learning Arabic in Egypt for this program wow. that would probably lead to like some CIA shit. Whatever. Wow. Or intern at a management company, um, a talent management company for free, whatever, no money at the huh. time. I did that. Chose the internship so I could learn the business. Uh, oh, we've done
2: the same thing. I was—I yeah. used to be an agent in New York. See, yeah,
1: you know, I was—I
0: was in publicity. Or, uh,
1: it was like a whole other life. Yeah, yeah. but wow. it, I feel like it gives you such a perspective. Oh, it does. Oh, god, it you does. You know, yeah. and such a helpful perspective mm-hmm. in terms of the business, in terms of what you need to continue to do, like mm-hmm. to just do what you want. You know, make it. And so that internship led to uh, internship okay. with Will Smith, and then. Um, their production companies, so. Will Smith and them <laughs> Will Smith a, and them, who, and them. Who? the, the Smiths and them I don't know who those uh, I'm not familiar so. no. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. you know, small little family <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> it'll be something one day uh, I love them but again that was like grad school for me and then just continued to you know dive into this with dear white people and other projects and with you uh, the pilot that we did yeah
2: what was the name
1: of that pilot which which it, name it was, it, there you go. <laughs> had a couple <laughs> the, a the couple pilot names. that
2: didn't see the light of day
1: the penis oh. chronicles they so happened it was called the penis chronicles
0: that think, was a working title yeah I'm sorry for, it, it oh, was what was the it was Fox?
1: What was, Fox it was Fox
0: oh so the two oh <laughs>
1: And okay. we did a scene in a bathroom together. Yeah, we did. yeah, In a stall? In a stall.
0: And you're sure this was a television production <laughs> company television that went ahead? Okay. They, we were it, on the Fox. They blog. said it was Fox, but it might have been Fox <laughs> Tales or something. Okay. okay. Okay.
2: And we both said yes to it. <laughs> <We
0: did. laughs> yeah, you better say <laughs> yes. I had an acting <laughs> coach tell me, like, you know, always say yes. And I was like, I don't think you should tell 13 year olds that. But, um... <clears throat> I mean, that's really amazing because you do have a very weird, otherworldly, in a a lovely way. Quality, I mean, you both have this, but I've worked with you, so I've seen it for myself where you... There's just something that comes out of you. Like, you, you that thing when people talk about, oh, I'm a conduit for someone or for something or for this character. I mean, there's like a physical, I see it happening with you. Like, you open up and someone steps out. Is that what it feels like to conjure or to, you know, be these characters? Uh,
1: for me, it does. Um, and that is, I mean... Kalei, I'm I'm sure you feel the same way. It's, um, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's just more than um, me. Mm. And I'm I'm aware of that. Like once you're in the flow Mm -hmm. of something, whether it be writing or whether it be, you know, in character or whatever, directing, whatever, you know it's not you. It's not you.
0: No, I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. When, these, when you feel this opening up to something bigger, does it feel like it's outside of you? Is it other parts of our brains or our personalities that just don't have space in it? Like, what do you think it is? Does it feel spiritual? And this is for both of you. I'm just um, curious. For me, it,
2: de- it definitely, for me, feels spiritual. But mm. it also feels like something that you can't really control or even even really articulate in, fully. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, you know, the the uh, we learn the craft of acting. We learn the skill of acting. Like we learn, you know, speech exercises mm-hmm. and, and vocal exercises and all that kind of thing. But when you – it's almost like ingesting food. Mm. You know, when you ingest the language, the spirit, the world, the intentions – the nuances and complications of something that's on a page and it then mutates because you have because you artistically are able to allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to dismiss your own judgment point mm, of view and life that
0: proxy to, self yeah,
2: <laughs> that proxy self to actually facilitate a space for not just the character to come through but For unexpected revelations to happen Mm -hmm. through the character. Mm -hmm. You know, I always feel like if I'm, you know, and it's one of the things that I actually learned, again, I'll bring up my mom, when I did Guess Who with the incomparable Bernie Mac, Mm -hmm. who who facilitated me getting that job, Mm -hmm. actually, to be honest. But my mother came onto the set, and it was a comedy, obviously, and I had been trained in drama. I had some tragedies in my life, so I was always able to cry mm-hmm. on cue. Because mm-hmm.
0: um, it was about recall for you then. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. about
2: recall for me mm-hmm. then versus it being an authentic mm-hmm. exploration of something new happening in every moment. Being present being as opposed to like
0: pulling from something exactly. in the past. Okay, I get that. And so the,
2: my best act- acting teacher being my mother. So she's on set. She's at Video Village sitting next to Kevin Sullivan, who directed it. And it was my character's opening scene. And I come in and I say, oh, my God, are we being audited? Mm-hmm. And they laughed every time I did the scene. Mm. And it's Bernie Ashton Kutcher's always held Donna all in it. So we're on like the third take. They laugh at the exact same places. And I'm just hitting the yeah. exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother says, Why are y'all laughing?
0: First of all, I'm obsessed. <laughs> Go on. She keeps doing it
2: the same every single time. Change it up.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Who is this character? Who are you? And my mother is standing next to Sony Pictures, mm. <laughs> the director, an iconic comedian. And this is my first movie. When they said, like, get on your mark, I didn't know what a mark meant. Wow. All those colorful tapes on the floor. I was like, well, which (laughs) one is my color? Nobody told me my color. I didn't know where I was. My mother got up, came in there, and said, you ain't doing this. Mm. Wow. What you're not going to do is just repeat yourself just because you know where the laugh is. Because you're not in the moment when you do that. You're not in the moment. You're
0: you're in the performance. Exactly. And in
2: that embarrassing, colossal, embarrassing moment, I learned how to really be, Mm. I won't even say be an actor. I learned that in school. Mm -hmm. I learned how to
0: be. Because there is a craft to it.
2: Yes, there is.
0: But there also is a, there's another thing that you can't learn. You have to either be snapped into it or have access to it. But it's the ability to be present to whatever is happening in that moment. And, you know, I, you know, I, I studied acting as a kid and, you know, I'm really grateful that I get to sort of use all that I learned as a director, because when you said vulnerable to me, like there is very few things more vulnerable to me in this industry, than an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, especially an actor that doesn't write or an actor that doesn't produce. And that's not any shade. That may not be someone's calling to do all those things. But I worry for those people because you really are at the mercy. I mean, you you kind of have to go out into the industry almost like a piece of cattle or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. and, and hope that whatever it is that you're bringing to the table is what someone wants. And, and I mean, it, the most I have the most fun in auditions, but it's also heartbreaking because I always end up with a plate full of talent, people that like are giving me so many interesting things and I can't use them all. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they did a bad job. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just because they didn't fit the vision of the story that I particularly have at this moment, which is so can be arbitrary to the actor. Um, But to go through the rejections and Mm -hmm. the acceptance, but then someone trying to change you and then Mm -hmm. you have a bad experience, but then you have a good one. It, it, It strikes me as one of the most vulnerable things to do and You know, some people respond to vulnerability um, with drugs or Mm -hmm. other things to sort of cover up that little special thing and keep it safe. And some people respond by leaning into it and going, you know what, life is, I'm going to embrace the mystery of life. And I don't know how to do that at that level. I, I really have a lot of awe and respect for both of you, not just because you're really talented, but because you're able to live a life and make a life out of this thing like when did you learn how to do that <laughs> when did your mama teach you that because <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something i don't know how to do that yeah. <laughs> but i think you
1: are doing it though i think like as an artist or whatever the you know just living your life and being true and being vulnerable and leaning into that is what continues to make us greater as people Mm -hmm. first and then that i think transmutes into the work on the newest episode of nocturne kcrw's podcast about the night can you hear that can you hear the hum
2: I woke her up and I said to the wife, can you hear this noise? And she's like, what noise? She couldn't hear that. It's like a truck engine idling. And when you open the door to see that truck, it's not there.
1: All over the world, people are kept awake by a low frequency sound with no explanation. That's on the latest Nocturne, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Now, if you don't know, you should really, really find out all about it. The new documentary, Whitney, by Kevin McDonald has hit theaters. It is, of course, about Whitney Houston, and it has got me and just about everyone I know who's seen it all up in our feelings about this woman who has meant so much to a lot of us and who we really didn't know as well as this movie allows us to. And uh, we really, really get into it. <laughs> You know, I'm so I, I'm I'm having a mo I'm having a minstrelsy moment and this this is these are not related topics, but this is me gearing up to segue mm. into Whitney. Whitney. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm really into minstrelsy right now. Like I'm really like I have been reading Tom's Bucks, Coons and Mammies, that book uh, by uh, Donald Bogle. And um, I think part of it's because there's a connection to that tradition that I, there's just something in me that needs to learn more about it. And what I find so profound is that entertainment has always been one of the very few areas where white people were interested in black people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when we were slaves, the only, the sort of black people showed up in the popular culture through minstrelsy. At first, white performers playing these very, very strict caricatures i mean there it really was like mammies mm-hmm. toms coons mm-hmm. and that was it yeah. you know and and the buck <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is you know the idea of the buck is the, is this kind of um it's a black man that has a you know insatiable sexuality is a tough guy gets into trouble even that wasn't that 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 had to wait to like we you saw bucks in in sort of you know um the dw griffith movie uh, birth of a nation mm-hmm. and it was so outrageous even to the even within the little black power that black people had uh, at the time that you didn't see bucks for a while after that movie mm-hmm. um but i just it was the only way we could get in. And right. so those first... Black minstrel performances, performances at the time felt so revolutionary because to us we're still we're watching that stuff and we're like they're just playing the game right, 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 how right. dare they uh-huh. you know Absolutely. that's the indignation one would feel but at the time black audiences were like oh thank God there's like uh-huh. a human in there right. and yeah it's still a it's still a coon right but at least there are th- there are flavors in there that look like life yes and I'm I'm just really interested in in our as a people our sort of like Us using entertainment, almost like a Trojan horse, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to bring ourselves into the culture. I mean, do you think about that? Do you think about where you sit uh, in relation to all of that? Because it all has echoes. We all still have Toms, Coons, Bucks, and Mammies. They look very different. Mm -hmm. And they are sometimes written in dazzling ways and have really beautiful cover-ups. But those those caricatures are very much in our culture. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that stuff? Like, how does that hit you? Like, how does that affect you?
1: I mean, I, I think about it. All the time. I mean, that's why I say no to like ninety percent of the stuff mm. that comes my way. One, because I'm not passionate about it. Two, um, especially after doing a show and you know, movie and the show, dear white people, etc. You can't. I can't speak for everybody, but I cannot. There's just things I, I won't do mm. anymore. After doing something like this, mm-hmm. because there's an awareness now, there's a consciousness now, and there's a, a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that I have in terms of, you know, the uh, the image mm-hmm. that uh, I put out there. In terms what, of what do you
0: think you would have done if, for whatever reason, yeah. we're exactly the same that we are now, but it's 1930. <laughs> I would have been. Would it you be a coal miner? <laughs> you know, like, would you be like, I'm out? Or like, would you, like, is, is this thing, is there still something here for us if we're in 1930 and we're the same people, we're, mm. we have the same goals, and, and, you know, I sit down and I dream of, of movies that I'll never be able to make, and you dream of roles that you'll never be able to play. Do we still play this game? I'm curious. What do you think, mm. Could I?
2: I, that's a very hard question to ask, and and I say that because it's a brilliant question. Mm-hmm. I say that because I don't think that I would be who I am if I didn't go, if I actually didn't play the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have the awareness that I have, or I would be hashtag woke, mm-hmm. unless I was hashtag sleep mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that I came here knowing you know, exactly how to fight the stereotypes that I was put into. I had to be put into them in order to feel a certain way about it. And then to get out of it. You know, one of the things I was telling Marquis before we were sitting down at this table was that, um, you know, I went, the first show I did was called My Boys and I actually turned it down three times because I felt the character was, you know, the typical black best friend. Mm -hmm. And, but then every time they came back, they had a bigger financial offer. So then I was like, oh, so God, what you're trying to say
0: is go ahead and take, this, ahead money. And take this
2: money and do what you got to do. And I did. And it went on four or five seasons. And then you were amazing. And then thank you. And then um, I was but I was unhappy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was uncomfortable. See. And I remember even getting a script that I wouldn't even say at the table read and going to the wow. executive producer and the creator, who I still love to this day, and telling her that um this particular script and what it's saying about black people, I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it even at the table read in front of the studio or the network. And the sadder thing is it was written by the only black actor that was on our staff at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And did they did they hear that and rewrite or what happened? They
2: did. Now, she instantly apologized and instantly said, don't explain any further. Mm-hmm. I will rewrite this myself. And I said, well, why can't we just as, uh, you know, it was basically that... Um, the white girl was hooking me up with a with a black guy, and he went for her instead of me. And there was a line in there where I say, you know, you know how hard it is to find a black guy like mod. I still remember the line. And once you insert the race, you're basically saying it's hard to find good black men. And I'm not saying that at a table read. I'm not saying that in rehearsal. I'm not saying that when the camera rolls. And so um, she was mortified that it got past her. And I said, let's just have an actual conversation where I ask her, well, have you ever dated a black dude? Mm -hmm. Would you ever date a black? Well, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, let us have the uncomfortable conversation that I'm having with you right now. And it was written that way. Mm -hmm. And we were able to have that. Um, But it wasn't always well received by the cast Mm -hmm. completely. Some people got it. Some people didn't care. Some people didn't whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the only black girl on the show. Mm-hmm. And then I became the only black girl on a lot of shows yep. after that. Mm-hmm. And so to because your, you, to your because point. Because you
0: proved that you could handle that particular mantle. And, right. the, and the industry always wants more from us of that you've shown that you have I mean, that, this is true of the industry in general, but really right. true for us.
2: Exactly. if you s-
0: tell them that you're good at the thing, they're like, okay, great. Well, here's more pie. Right. Here's more
2: <laughs> pie. Eat more but pie. But then you're still feeling like shit, eating the pie. You're like, this pie is making me sick, though, mm-hmm. you know. And then it got to the point where I would say the no. But I had to say yes before I understood what the no what the no would mean mm-hmm. and what I would have to do in order to switch that no into my yes. Yep. And so then I wrote the show Black Best Friend, BBF, which mm-hmm. I would have never been able to write had I not gone through that experience. So to your question, you know, who would I be? I wouldn't be able to be, you know, even though I sold the show, it didn't move forward in a, in a pilot at Fox, but you know, it still could have a life. I wouldn't even know how to create that that narrative
0: mm-hmm.
2: of cuz in the show I hijack the camera from the white girl.
0: I'm basically a glorified
2: extra in the cold opening and I literally take the camera to say, you know, you're going to pay attention to me. You're going to mm-hmm. pay attention to me now and to to go into the nuances of my life. And so I wouldn't be able to have that. I wouldn't be a writer today right. yeah. had I not said a yes to a stereotypical thing right. Right. that made me so uncomfortable that I had to say Hell you had something no. to
0: write about. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know it's it's beautiful because that's a beautiful story and and it's I think it's a lesson for other actors, other performers who find themselves in, in positions that are uncomfortable. Because the truth is, is like we are in a very unique time in mm-hmm. our culture where we might be able to use that right. uncomfortableness mm-hmm. and turn it into something. Mm-hmm. We have As to use know, that uncomfortableness right? yeah. and turn
2: it into something because when we don't, that uncomfortableness turns on us. And right. you
0: know, and speaking of the uncomfortableness turning on us, segue. You know, we just saw Whitney, the new documentary that is, I think, really amazing. Kind of blows the roof of any other so far portrayal. Of her life and what's so powerful about it is that it really it, it had a lot of access to footage and behind the scenes moments you know just her friends just videotaping each other so you see the real real you hear that voice in in spaces that you'd never heard it in before i mean you, you hear the voice before it was so-called polished and ready for prime time you hear it after and you know there are lessons that whitney had to walk through that she was the first to walk through mm-hmm. and there wasn't a happy ending, because no one had done it. But we had to all watch Whitney go through it before we could have those experiences in our lives and go, mm, I'm going to make a different choice. Because at the time, she was just making the best choices right. that anyone probably would make right. at that time. What right. well, she knew to do. So talk to me about how that movie hit you. Because I, I can talk forever about how it hit me. But, <laughs> you know, Marquis, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of turn to you. You know, Kalei was just talking about that thing that turns inward,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is what I kind of took away, but what did you what, what what were you picking up that that movie was putting down
1: man, um what a case study mm-hmm. I feel like, and i feel I feel weird even saying that you know the the term case study because at the end of the day, this was a human mm-hmm. that I feel you know we're all responsible for our own journeys and whatnot, but it didn't seem like anybody was really there to take care of her. Um, and with the family and whatnot, they were just doing what they knew how to do. Yeah. You know? Every, that's the thing about right. the movies.
0: Everyone is doing their best. what right. they consider to be their best. Right. And we can judge them now, but, but we, we have we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of knowing what, you know, happens to you when you start doing a lot of Coke. Yeah. And yeah. at the time, people didn't did know. know. Yeah, like, they really like did. drinking coffee. Right. Yeah.
1: Like, and, and, but but I, think, I feel like we we can't, judge them Mm -hmm. because we we still yeah that documentary presented you know another view that blew the top off of my head but we still have no idea
0: what part blew you like what part surprised you the most
1: i would say the thing i mean this might be kind of weird but just the idea that her and like michael jackson could be in a room oh my god and not say anything because they got it that moment i get that and i'm not 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 even close to that level, but like
0: wow. There are just some things that the two of those people alone yeah. knew mm-hmm. that no one else knew. Nobody. Probably no we won't we won't, we won't know. Ever. Because, you know, even when we talk about like Beyoncé or somebody, yeah. she now listen, she struggled and worked very hard to mm-hmm. get where she is, but she never was the first like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was I, I was watching the Elvis documentary and he was the first American pop star at that level. So he went through things for a first time and made mistakes. But like it was like Michael and Whitney are the next generation. Like there's not, like they're the second ones through the, (laughs) like it's not, it doesn't, we don't know what happens yet to people. Like no one knew what happened to people who became this famous. Right,
1: but even like where she came from just the, the, the dynamic, the complete, just the beginnings of her life. In Newark. N- yeah. Newark, like mm-hmm. Newark. the riots and all that kind of stuff, but where she went and what she meant for black people, for Americans, for the world, like, and that double consciousness is just, like, it's crazy. The
0: double me. con- I mean, because we all, I think why everyone was so surprised, you know, when she married Bobby Brown is because we only knew of one of her consciousnesses she was taught so young that in order to succeed you have to basically create a white friendly version of yourself which she did Mm -hmm. and I think you know some of what the documentary explores as well and this is in her own words is the trouble sort of knowing the difference between those things Mm -hmm. and you know how could you When you start to do it at such a young age, Mm -hmm. you know, like I I think about this all the time. Like I taught, you know, I remember going back, you know, I went to a mostly white school and grew up in a black neighborhood. And so I either talked too white or I was too black. And um, you try to that stuff's happening so early. I, I I know I created versions of myself at three and four and five years old that I think an average three or four, four or five-year-old wouldn't know to do or wouldn't think they would have to do. And you certainly see Whitney's battle mm-hmm. with that.
2: Yeah, oh. the, the survival mechanism. Yes. It is survival. You know, it is survival. Like, I want to, she wants to survive her childhood, and yep. so you have to do... Because the the revelations in the movie that explain the things that happened to her in her childhood, I mean, everybody has to see this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the revelations in that, you know, I identify with.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I will say that you do create... Whatever personality you need to do to survive something when your brain mm-hmm. has not yet developed to the point where you can put logic
0: yes. on an emotion. Because children yeah. don't have that kind of logic.
2: We don't right. have that kind of logic. We don't we haven't
0: right. learned the ways of this world yet. No. So we don't know why adults do the things they do.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you survive by escapism, mm-hmm. by your imagination. That's the only way. And I, and I almost think it's like I don't know too much about psychology or how our minds, our brains work, but I almost think it is our body's way. The same way you can cut yourself and bleed and the skin will get back together and heal, I almost think it's our our mind's way of getting us through that moment is that escapism. And so to see that transfer into her adult career life, because the scene where she's sitting there saying, you know, Whitney's calling Nippy, but Nippy's not answering. But Mm -hmm. Nippy can call Whitney and Whitney will answer. But Whitney can't call Nippy. but, But. but Whitney can't call nippy
0: Ooh, and her yeah. self-awareness yeah. Cons- all, considering everything she had a self-awareness of what was I think that's the thing that people don't realize mm-hmm. it's not that they can't they it's not that they 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 they're making terrible decisions yeah. right like yeah. she's self-aware enough to know what's going on right. she just doesn't physically her body doesn't know what else to do so yeah. you
2: self-medicate yeah right. Right. You know, you self-medicate, you find a way, and everybody's medicine can be different. Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Like, and some medicines are, um, you know, deemed okay by the society right. that you grew up in and some are not. You know, mm-hmm. alcohol sort of, you know famously has been deemed okay mm-hmm. as a way to self-medicate for so long that, you know, I think now that cannabis is sort of in, coming into the culture, people are realizing like, oh, maybe alcohol isn't so <laughs> right for the self-medicate. Yeah, exactly. You know, because <laughs> yeah. it can lead to <laughs> violence. And, and addi- I, I believe that you can be addicted to anything, but yeah. uh, the addiction to alcohol, just like hair, like there are different outcomes. Yeah, right. Physical. You know, are different. you addicted to exercise? Well, yeah. the outcome might be, you know, right. well, F, fuck you. Okay? Right. You know, you look fantastic. Right. Um, You know, if you're addicted to, you know, conversation or whatever, right. if you're addicted to weed, if you're addicted right. to food, it's different. It's, it's different, different than when you're addicted to, like, cocaine. Yeah, type.
2: and like you said, and to your right. point, right. at that time they didn't know. They there didn't wasn't know. an expected
0: end mm-hmm. of
2: what that addiction would really, really do. And also, yeah. no, now there, we was, have...
0: there was no blueprint for Whitney Houston. There you right. go. Mm -hmm. Because even Michael and Whitney, they were walking through doors that nobody even knew existed, Mm -hmm. let alone could be opened by anybody, black Mm -hmm. people or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other piece of it that really messed me up is this idea of pathology Mm -hmm. and the stuff that has been with our families for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, things happened in Whitney's childhood that I can only imagine Mm -hmm. happened in the childhood of people older than her and her family. This is a, we have black people, everybody, but black people have secret legacies that we pass on from generation to generation. I don't know. There's something about that that's so tragic because you can't really stop things like that without having a really serious
1: moment in your life. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? No, absolutely. Um, And I don't know why that just made me think of, throughout the entire film, nobody ever talked about uh, Self care, or therapy, mm-hmm. or like just the conversations that um, you know could have had. Nobody talked about mm-hmm. the stuff. Really? I mean, it,
0: it felt too late. Yeah, it,
2: it was too late. It felt yeah. too late. It was too late. How it's... do you
0: being, How do you tell somebody once they? Here's the thing. Fame is like a, you know, and I I, I kind of hope I never know. Or am close to that kind, not not even for me personally, but just in people in my life, because mm. it feels really scary to me. Absolutely. Um, but fame does something where it just freezes. It's so exciting and traumatic that I think it just arrests your personality exactly where it is mm. when it hits you. And so, because yep. you don't have time to self reflect when right. every scrap of self reflection is public, right. whether it hits you at eleven, like it did Michael. Or it hits you at 18 like it did Whitney. I think you 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 just gotta be hope that you had enough right. mm-hmm. by, then. by then to mm. survive it. And I don't think either of those people, very special people, had enough right. um, understanding of themselves to survive the level of fame that they reached. Mm-hmm. Whitney was a very, very wise and savvy 18 year old, but is that enough to survive that level of attention and to have the entirety of the black community rest their hopes and fears on you? Yes. <laughs> My rest, my hopes and fears rested on those two people growing up.
2: Absolutely,
0: yeah. I don't know about you, but completely.
2: I, yeah. I, I yeah. cried when I went to the Michael Jackson concert, mm-hmm. and they said it was too much rain, and it was going to be an electrical fire, <laughs> and my mother had to take me back home oh, with I'm my white glove on. You.
0: Oh no! I had the white glove.
2: I had the red jacket. That is I was tragedy. All the way, it was tragedy. <laughs> I—I I mean, I oh tore my God, up that yeah. car no. on the way home. I was like, God, why would you do this to me? My mother was like, Oh, oh yes, honey. And we were far in the back.
0: I'm devastated for devastated. you.
2: Devastated. I didn't devastated. even make it to the concert. I, I didn't I even made make it, it all the way. I and they canceled. We waited an oh, hour and a half in damn. the rain at the concert. Wow. And they were like. Folks, he's not coming. Oh no! And you would have thought my whole life was over. Not folks, not folks. How dare
0: they come out and say (laughs) folks?
2: (laughs) And my mother was just like, I don't know. You better send
0: out Tito, Disneyland somebody. Disneyland wasn't
2: going to fix it. Like, uh, nothing was going to fix oh, you it.
0: Oh, yeah. you were in, oh. Oh, no, I was in Philly. Okay, but my mother okay. was like,
2: well, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. I'm okay. going to do, you know. You're like, no. I'm going to take it to. Captain Neo's not gonna, I was like, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. This was Michael Jackson. I had <laughs> yeah. my gloves. Like, it wasn't. Wow. But you do. You put all your hopes and fears into them. They're i They're
0: iconic. I remember defending Michael Jackson like I was his attorney. Okay, in 1992 (laughs) or whatever. I meant that I was about 10 years old, fighting kids on the schoolyard. Like, no, he turned into a robot in Moonwalker. Okay, he's the king of pop. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) I was having these conversations. Yes. Uh, Yes. But you know, the thing about it is, I feel so. I feel implicit. Mm. because we didn't know yeah. what we were doing we were cons- the thing that's so great about the documentary is it mashes up moments of her life with um moments from the culture be it like yes. you know things that the presidents are saying or wars that are on TV or commercials that are popular and it it you realize that this life that is happening is happening because we all just want to consume it up like popcorn and like pepsi mm-hmm. And we had no idea. I, I, none of us could know when we were laughing at the SNL sketches,
1: right. yeah. At TV, that you know,
0: which You know, Phil Lamar's impersonation of Michael in particular is brilliant. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but also, like you know, Maya's Whitney. I mean, those are they're really funny, but. Boy, there was a life under there yeah. that we. I don't think any of us understood the severity of what that those that laughter mm-hmm. um, was kind of doing to them. Mm-hmm. So on and that it was, note, and I had a <laughs> talk
2: about I had a talk with Rel after and about to your point earlier yeah. about um like L'Oreal, it being a case study, um, Lil Rel, yeah, yeah, yeah actor, Lil uh, Rel, um, screens large yeah. and small, <laughs> but exactly. <laughs> but to the case of you, you, you calling it like you know. It's um, almost like a case study yeah. that we do need to take care of each other, yeah. you know, yes. because now and, protect, what, each and other. protect each other because what we can do for our icons that opened those doors and pave those ways and that swallowed up our hopes and fears is after you see a documentary like this and you realize what you didn't know behind the veil of it all is to be a responsible friend, yep. mm-hmm. responsible brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever you need to be because that is – it's a cautionary tale Absolutely. that you might not be able to completely eradicate.
0: Yeah. Um, well, it's also – for me, it's like when I meet a Calais or I meet a marquee. like it's not just about doing cool stuff with each other. It's also about taking time to pour into each other, right. to listen to each other, because it is it is tricky and you know listen it's not a black and white thing yeah. but i will say for black artists because we are still occupying a space smaller than one that would represent parity for us in this country or in this world we don't have the systems and the structures that I think white performers have because they've been at it for longer yeah. and there are these legacies, there are these funds. Right. You know, there are people who are basically like grandmothers and godmothers and godfathers in this world, and there's so many of them, and for us we have a few, yeah. but, you know, it, not enough to reach everybody. So it's important, you know, I think... I've always felt that when I encounter really special people, not only to try to make work that allows them to give something beautiful... Um, but also to like, let's chat afterwards. Let's, are you cool? Like, yeah. are we all cool? Are everyone's all right? cool. Yeah, everyone's cool, right? Okay, because mm-hmm. yeah. they didn't have that, man. Yeah. They just had each other. Um, Michael and Whitney at the end yeah. and sitting in the room, not having to say anything.
2: anything.
0: You guys got anything controversial that's been on your mind this week? (laughs) Uh, I uh, weigh your think pieces, uh, America. Oh,
1: man. I don't know. I don't have anything that I've been thinking. I try to stay out, not necessarily stay out of the controversy. My mind is on a whole bunch of other things. But Mm -hmm. I remember I got in trouble once, air quotes around trouble, because I posted something on Instagram. Copy and and pasted something about, um, you know. Jay Z and Beyonce, they chose each other, and mm. Kanye and Kim, they chose each oh, other. Oh, choose right. wisely! And then, right, 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 right. Yes, you know, people were like, "You can't blame it on the woman. You can't do da da da." That's not what I was saying. It was uh, also,
0: was a, it was a joke.
1: It I was mean, a joke. But I get it. It, it. it was a joke. But I mean, I... I, I don't care I, <laughs> yeah, that's the I thing I think care. the other thing
0: is like I, for me on Twitter I'm like I don't I mean it like maybe 65% yeah, I, mean, I just think it sounds cute yeah. <laughs> like part of it is I mean it part of it I think it sounds cute part of it I'm interested in learning more uh, anyway what about you Colette?
2: Uh mine is probably I have got in a little trouble once um, don't at me about kneeling for the national anthem ooh
0: that's one to get in trouble yes about. I did <laughs> I did and I had to go to, of it was you want, <laughs> well, honey. I kneel all day. Okay, right. kneel right. all day. Right. Um, Never get up. <laughs> I'm right. Never stand again. Kneel all day. Lay
2: down. Very flip over, honey. Right. Pound oh, the pavement.
0: Well, I have to say real quick before we end this discussion, <laughs> yes. the Star Spangled Banner moment for Whitney Houston. Amazing. Very powerful.
2: Very, and I cried. Again, mm-hmm, I cried mm-hmm. the first time I saw it, I cried again because even with my don't at me, I come from a military family. Mm-hmm, so my father mm-hmm. was in the military, my grandfather, all of them. So okay. I understand that they fought. My grandfather didn't even know but my sing, mother.
0: But mm-hmm. to sing praise, this because this is what the movie goes at. Yes. We were singing praises to the ramparts I know. and the bombs. I know, and the but what the movie said was that she found
2: the freedom. Yes, right.
0: she found she emphasized the freedom for black people.
2: Exactly.
0: Right. Because the instruments of war are often Levied against us, yes. and that's why it's very complicated to sing a song or to have reverence for a song about the instruments of war, but also a song that is ultimately about freedom, right? Yeah.
2: But she found that
0: yeah. for us. She 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 showed us where it existed in that song,
2: where it existed, which is why we can kneel.
0: Yeah, right. mm-hmm. or, or not, or <laughs> not, depending. So yes,
2: should be we desire. So, well, listen yeah.
0: on freedom. I'm going to say thank you. We thank could you. we could literally continue this conversation all day, but what we're gonna oh. do is stop.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a dream. Thank you guys <laughs> so much for
0: Thank being you for here. having yeah, me. I thank really you. appreciate thank it. You.
1: This was dope. Thank you. We'll do it again. Yes.
0: Okay, I'd like to thank my guests, Marquis Richardson and Kayleigh Stewart. Producer Gina Delvac, special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhaneni, our production engineers Garrett Lang and Ray Gorna. Head of programming in Mabu, Gary Scott. Chris Bowers, of course, created our theme song, and this is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. Now that the show's done, you can totally at me, think, peace, me, whatever you want. Just subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review for us. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW.
2: Support comes from the California Department of Public Health, raising awareness that smoking doubles your risk of getting respiratory infections,
1: including coronavirus. For how to quit now when lung health is crucial, go to TobaccoFreeCA.com.